Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com so there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Chairman Kurt Davis and Commissioner James Jim Guggenauer are commissioners of the Arizona Game and Fish Department. They and three other commissioners decided to vote five to nothing on the potential of banning trail cameras for the take of wildlife in the state of Arizona. Naturally, this decision has come with a lot of public sentiment, which is exactly what they're looking for. Right now, that ruling, quote unquote, is out for public comment and is open until March. After March, they'll take into consideration all of the public comment and decide what the next steps are. So here's a conversation with Jim and Kurt about why they decided to vote yes in favor of banning trail cameras. You know, Robert, it's actually been a it's been a good conversation because it is it, what you just said a moment ago, which about our grandkids <laughs> and our great grandkids um, is really actually been a heart of a lot of the conversation. So it's, it's actually not been, it's been okay. It's been, we went through this once before uh, a few years back, but this has been a lot more um, in a positive way, energizing. <laughs> well, Chairman, one thing I have to correct you on is that it, you, you please call me Robbie. Don't call me Robert. The only person who calls me Robert is my mother when she's mad at me. Okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, you've, we've all had that. So, um, well, I'm just absolutely, you know, honored to have both of you, to be able to speak with both of you. Um, you know, you guys are the closest thing to the issue. You are the commissioners that voted on the Arizona trail camera ban. And so how about we just start with a simple introduction uh, and I'll just start with you, Chairman. Uh, just let everyone know who you are, um, 
where you're from and, and what's the issue here, essentially. I'm Kirk Davis, and I'm uh, currently the chairman of the Arizona Game and Fish Commission. I'm actually, uh, in January, will start my 10th year on the commission. Uh, and it has been an extraordinary honor to serve both the wildlife and sportsmen and women in Arizona. Thanks, Kurt. Uh, good morning, and I'm, uh, I'm James Guggenhauer. I'm from Payson, Arizona, and that's in Gila County. And I am about a year and a half into my five-year commission. Fantastic. And uh, I always, when we get on one of these public forums, I always want to recognize uh, Chairman Davis's leadership and mentoring of the, of the commission. And happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have both of you. I assume both of you are hunters, right? Yes. Yes, sir. Absolutely. I'm a black powder. Uh, my preferred method is black powder, muzzleloader. Oh, we don't want to get into a debate I'm between long-range rifle and muzzleloaders or stuff like that, right? Yeah, no, it's just what happens to be my 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 choice. You've got yeah, kids, grandkids that love to hunt. Pardon me? Kids and grandkids that, that love to hunt too. Um, in my case, uh, I don't have any children. And uh, actually, I come from a non-hunting family. So similar to some of the people that have been, uh, that you've interviewed in the past. So I'm a first generation hunter in my family. Um, I love, I have a passion for turkey hunting. I love the spring turkey hunting. I don't think there's any better sound in the woods to get out there and hear a turkey gobble first thing in the morning. And uh, that's kind of where my passion is for hunting. Uh, I also do a lot of fishing. Um, I have a custom uh, rod building company called Rim Country Custom Rods. I actually build and uh, sell them all around the world actually. And uh, been doing that for about 15 years and, and loving that part of it too. Incredible. I am, uh, uh, Jim, by the way, Jim will never tell you how uh, he's considered one of the state's biggest resources on angling. Um, he's being pretty humble there. Um, I'm a, for also a first generation hunter. Uh, and I was able to take my grandson on uh, his first turkey hunt experience this past fall. Um, He's not quite old enough yet to get a tag, but he's uh, learning how the ways of, of hunting and the ways of setting up a hunt camp and all of those things. So it's very exciting. I'm also very proud of the fact that my son-in-law, who is actually born and raised uh, in Germany, uh, has now become a hunter. So I've actually recruited an international hunter into the, into the fold in my family. Well, the fact that both of you are first-generation hunters and now are commissioners of, you know, arguably one of the greatest big game states that the, the U.S. has, um, says a lot. And the fact that it means so much to you to now, Jim, knowing that you don't have any kids, but knowing that you're not just, you don't have any kids, but there's so many kids out there that you're now going to try and lead this legacy of wildlife and the sustaining the po sustaining the populations of wildlife for the future generations is a mantle that I don't think any of you take very uh, lightly. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the, the missions in, in everything you see the commission do and actually the Game and Fish Department here in Arizona, you know, all lead towards you. Uh, that is the, the future, the success 
uh, lots of work, lots of time and energy, and more importantly, most money uh, goes into uh, funding youth programs and keeping them, uh, having them learn the right ethics of hunting and fishing so that they can be the next generation out there. And from our generation's perspective is to maintain that wildlife so that they have that opportunity, just like we've had for the, uh, for the hunting and fishing experiences. You know, Robbie, I'm glad you brought this, this, this whole notion up. Arizona has over 820 species of wildlife that we are responsible, ultimately our department is to manage. That is the most species of any state that does not have an ocean and can count the fish. Uh, so it's a very complex ecosystem in which our department manages in Arizona, including those wonderful big game species. But the fact is, is that there's so much work that has to be done to perpetuate the wildlife that's held in trust for the people of Arizona and our country. So as commissioners, you guys have to make some pretty, you know, tough decisions. Decisions are laid in front of you. You have the information presented to you. And you as the five commissioners think about it, talk amongst yourselves, debate, talk to the relevant experts, and you make a call, you make a decision. And one of those decisions is tied to trail cameras. Yes. And the commission voted five to nothing as it means to banning trail cameras. So maybe let's just start there. Where are we right now in terms of the process? What's remaining in the process? And Chairman, I'll let you answer this. What's remaining in the process? And then we'll go from there. So the, the way the rules process works in Arizona is the commission chooses to open what's called a rules package. They present, then they have to take a vote. The commission has to take a vote to move a rules package forward. Part of that is providing language for the public to be able to comment on. Then we take in all those comments. And at that time, we decide whether to move forward with uh, that language, to change that language and then go back out for further public comment or to not move the language forward. And so we're at that point in the process where we put language out uh, to the state of Arizona, the people of Arizona, and they are now beginning to give us comment on, on that proposed language. I, I will add that in 2018, we put out, uh, we ultimately banned the use of transmitting cameras. Um, and that was related to, I, I think this is an important notion, Robbie, in all of this. Arizona, every state's different, as you know. Yes, Arizona is a very arid state, limited water. Uh, it's not like Minnesota where I can, you know, I can walk, you know, 100 yards in any direction and find water. We're a very limited water state. We are a drought uh, state. We are, Arizona is one of the hardest hit, it's happening right now, one of the hardest hit areas for drought. That changes how you look these of technology being used for the take of wildlife because as we all know wildlife has to go to water and if you have very limited waters uh, then it changes how you potentially need to manage technology so anyways we put out that rule the the language that basically puts transmitting and passive cameras in the same place 
They cannot be used for the take of wildlife or aiding in the take of wildlife. It doesn't stop you from going out and taking pictures of all the wildlife you'd like to do, uh, to enjoy, uh, to have a good time with your grandkids and kids. It's solely not to be used as a device to take wildlife. Jim, you have anything to add there? Yes, so I, if we, going back to the timeline for a second, we are anticipating, as the chairman said, after this public input uh, cycle, it'll come back to the, to the commission, probably in the March timeframe. But then the, I think this is a wise strategy from March until January 1st of 2022 is when any changes that the commission would uh, opt for would be implemented. So there'll be lots of time to get the word out to the public so everybody understands what the rules are gonna be and, and what those changes are uh, going forward. But the chairman's right, you cannot overemphasize uh, the drought conditions here in the West. You know, fewer water sources, that means more cameras that are on less water sources. Uh, animals, uh, typically two to three days, every single animal has to go drink. So you can imagine what 10 cameras on a water hole in two to three days, you have a pretty good idea of everything that's moving in and out of there. To, to combat this drought for years now, the Game and Fish Department, the, the individual regions within the Game and Fish Department, and we have six of those around the, the state of Arizona, along with all of our non-government organizations, our NGOs, our partners in, in wildlife have been hauling water the department itself, just the Game and Fish Department, has hauled over 768,000 gallons of water in the past year. So we literally take everything from water trucks to helicopters to replenish these water sources around the straight, around the state. And so it's 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 pretty critical. It's a it's an issue we've been dealing with for a lot of years, and it's not going away anytime soon. So the other. Robbie, one last, if I could add to it too. Um, it, it, Arizona has, as you know, um, a large um, cattle industry. We have a large number of people who lease public lands and own private lands, private ranch lands within areas that we hunt as a, as a people in Arizona. When, what's happened is we've also seen a growing number of complaints from from our from our ranching partners, the about the the traversing back and forth to the tanks to check cameras. If you think about it, we have water holes where there will be 30 cameras, 40 cameras. And if 40 people are coming in and out day in and day out checking those cameras, it also is negatively impacting uh, people's ability to make a living on the land. Um, and as well as obviously wildlife getting to those waters as well. So it's it, people sometimes think of cameras as themselves, you know, their their experience with their camera, but magnify that by 20, 30, 40 cameras on a water, what that means for that water hole, for the person who may be uh, watering cattle in the area and for the wildlife attempting to get to that water. It's, you know, it, it magnifies over over time and by numbers. So it sounds like both of you voted yes. 
yes, on moving this regulation forward because of the biological and ecological implications, I would say as, as the primary objective, the biological and ecological implications on the wildlife. And two, then the alternative users of those areas feeling the impact of the increased traffic of individuals going in, especially, as you said, you, I don't think any of you have mentioned that, you know, yeah, you're in a drought state, but then when you're in the summer, in a drought state, that water <laughs> becomes even more critical. Did yes. I catch that correctly, or did I miss anything in terms of why you guys voted yes? You, you, you did, Robbie. I, I would add there's a social component, which is the, is the issue of fair chase, which the commission, as you know, deals with what kind of weapons we use to take wildlife, what kind of calibers we use to take uh, certain species of wildlife. Uh, what technologies do we allow in the field? Uh, we, as you probably in Arizona, we don't allow baiting, for example. Uh, we don't allow the use of aircraft. We don't allow the use of drones. Uh, you know, all kinds of, as you know, technology changes in many good ways. Most of it comes out of the military. Most technological advancements with weapons and, and those things starts with the military, moves to the police, and then makes its way in many cases into the field uh, for hunting. And the commission, part of their responsibility is to protect that ethos of the North American model and fair chase. And to do exactly what you said early in the very beginning of the program, which is to perpetuate species for future generations. That's ultimately our responsibility. And when you take an oath to serve on the commission, you're agreeing that part of your responsibility is to ensure that those 820 plus species are perpetuated into the future. So can I, let me push on you a little bit here because okay. the whole idea of social, right? The idea of ethics, the idea of fair chase, the argument, the counter argument on the camera side is that you actually get a better idea of wildlife management because you get a better idea of inventory and thus you're able to selectively take the older age class of animals, which would then perpetuate a better, healthier population. Um, and there's been several organizations, QDMA being one of them, that has come right. out and said, we believe it's fair chase because of that one there's statistics missing right there's no statistics that say you your harvest goes up because of trail camera use and number two the management of the wildlife that is essentially the ultimate goal of what you guys are trying to do let me let me let me say when i say social social so as you know social is the most complicated of the th of the three that we've we've now talked about in many ways it's because it is uh it is opinion driven often, it is feeling driven, um, but it is a reality when you serve on the commission because the people who come and talk to you from your state share have those feelings on both sides. Um, the commission has never said that we believe that people that use cameras are um, unethical or uh, bad individuals. Uh, that has never been part of the conversation. 
it's a fair and earnest debate. Some of the things you brought up are fair and earnest. It's putting it all together. And that's the, that's the hard part. A lot of times people in the public have their, their piece, the biological piece, what they think might be the biological impact. Then you have the people at the social piece and that's their piece. The commission has to take all of those pieces and consider them together. Um, and that's what makes this a very complicated job from time to time. So here's the scenario in which the commission's looking at. You have a, a drought state, an arid state, even in the wettest of times, an arid state with limited water, who has a large footprint of ranchers who also work on those same lands, those same public lands that we that we all traverse and hunt on. We have a growing population, the fastest growing population in the state, in the country. We have a reduction in the cost of the technology, which has increased the numbers of those technologies. All happening simultaneously at the same time. So what we've seen over time is a proliferation of the cameras. And we are now beginning to see conflict between hunters over camera sites, over water holes. We're seeing conflict between guides for the same reasons. We are seeing conflict with the public who is out traversing these same lands, wondering why are they going to places and seeing 40 cameras or people putting new stakes in the ground and putting a camera up. Um, we are seeing we are seeing the reality of, of what I would almost call water occupation, where people actually are beginning to behave as if waters are their own. Um, and all of those things, some of those are social. Some of the, we are, we have begun to study and we don't fully comprehend, are we changing wildlife behavior by by having all this human interaction going in and out of water holes and cameras going off at water holes. Are we changing wildlife behavior? That we don't know yet. There are people that have been looking at it and studying it that will make the case that it is. Um, some of us have anecdotal feelings about it, but they are anecdotal. So all of those things combine that vortex population numbers of cameras traversing into water holes being an arid state uh, the ability to go out and um, and ascertain what is out there all of that has been part of this conversation and it is very complicated most of the people who come in to comment have their one mm -hmm. piece mm -hmm. Jim what was the what main was reason? that you said yes? Well, for what we're, pretty much what we're talking about here, but if, if I can, Robert, I'd like to go back and, and, and add in the, um, the point about the, the surveys and the cameras. And just to be explicit, um, it's only for the take of wildlife that we're discussing here. If you're doing research, we actually have uh, non-disclosure agreements with different wildlife organizations here in the state, like our uh, Arizona Desert Bighorn Sheep Society, to do monitoring of, of, of sheep. And they use cameras in that, in that process. 
that research, if you will, uh, that that will continue and that's not impacted by what we're doing. So this, and, just an and, example of that. But why I voted for it specifically is in Arizona, we hunt uh, 10 months out of the year. Uh, our hunting seasons go from August uh, through May. Um, June and July is when people from the valley, you were referring to the summer months, that's when people like to come up to the north and recreate with their families. The Tano National Forest here in Arizona is the second most recreated national forest in the country. So we have people literally, as the chairman said, in our forest year round. And it puts pressure on, on wildlife. There's no doubt about it. The ATVs, the hikers, all those people move wildlife constantly. And so um, from that position, I, I'm thinking, okay, how, how do we get some respite for the, for the animals that are, that are out there? Uh, the fair chase piece of it is huge for me. That just seems like when, when we have so many cameras out there, so many people sharing information, um, it, it is out of hand, uh, in my opinion. And, um, you know, whether we end up uh, voting for a, some type of season or, or a complete ban, uh, that remains to be seen in the, in the commission. But what's clear from the feedback that we've been getting and all the conversations, something needs to be done. Uh, it is untenable to continue the way that we are using cameras in Arizona. Robbie, too, I think we let's add one last piece to this. The, at, at the same meeting that we that we proposed the rules package to ban the use of trail cameras for take, we also authorized the department to begin electronic. We will have electronic tags in Arizona. Part of electronic tagging is exactly the data that you're talking about. Um, it we will have the best data that we have ever had in our state's history when we have electronic tagging for our biologists. Mm -hmm. And as Jim mentioned, cameras are a wonderful tool from a research standpoint, from a monitoring standpoint. None of that is impacted. None of it is impacted. It is solely for take or to aid in the take. And one last thing I'm gonna mention, this, this one of our people that commented, uh, and, the, and the commission has to contemplate these things. One of the individuals, a wonderful individual that con uh, commented, wrote us an email and said, hey, I have started a business of putting cameras out on all the water holes and selling that data to hunters and you're going to interfere in my business. That is exactly one of the things the commission actually has to come. We have to look into the future. And what you don't want to have is created an entire business sector and then come in after the fact and say that business sector can't exist anymore. You try to be on the front end before this kind of thing happens. Because can you imagine in Arizona if we had 2,000 businesses that went out and put up cameras monitored them for you and sent you your pictures for a fee. And we had that going on across every waterhole in Arizona. Same situation. Then we're monetize and then we're monetizing wildlife, which is a whole other conversation. So these are the things the commission, you know, this is why it's an extraordinarily complicated issue. But at the end of the day, our job is to make sure 820 species are perfect 
perpetuated into the future. Jim, I want to poke a little bit on what you said about Fair Chase and cameras. Um, you know, one of the things you've probably heard it, you've probably seen the comments, is that the commission is just anti-camera. Jim, are you um, anti-camera? <laughs> no, not at all uh, anti-camera. Uh, they do have a place for that. But um, when, as we talk about multiple cameras on a water source, uh, in my opinion, that is, that is not fair chase. If I know from, a, from camera photos of every wildlife that uh, is coming into that water hole, that provides an unfair advantage to, to the North American model, which states that you have to give the wildlife a fair chance of escape. And when you have constant photos, and, and I'll even say, you know, because elk and uh, mountain lions and bears, you know, they don't necessarily use the same water hole every day. So it's not like you can say, okay, at five o'clock, you know, this elk's gonna come in here and drink. Uh, they'll rotate around, you know, they could use a 20 mile radius, but you could figure out that like every fifth day that animal is coming through this area again and as part of its, its route. So when you have that kind of, kind of knowledge and patterning, if you will, of the wildlife, um, it starts to affect the, the ethos and the, the North American model. And, and that's, that's kind of, I think, what the, what the commission is viewing. Let me ask this, Kurt. Does the, does the commission, and maybe I'll just ask you because you can't speak on behalf of any other commissioner. Kurt, do you have the same feelings about Fair Chase that Jim has? I do. Um, Jim's probably got stronger feelings or more, you know, more directly defined feelings. I have seen uh, through this process since I've been on the commission, you know, 10 years gives you a pretty good perspective on the commission. You see a lot of issues come and, and go over those 10 years. We're seeing, you know, now the actual use of apps that pattern the pictures, pattern uh, the wildlife. So again, I forward think to what does the technology look like five years from now and 10 years from now? And again, once, once the technology takes a permanent hold, it gets much tougher to peel it back because then you, you've, you've trained in essence, potentially an entire generation that this is a primary tool. And then if you go, whoa, that's having a significant impact and we need to peel that back, that is much more complicated, quite frankly, than trying to think forward about the next generation of the technology. And so some of the, some of the, some of the research that's being done is actually to have patterning in and, and recognition in the cameras to do that piece of the work for the sportsman or woman. I look at it, Bobby, you're a, you're a hunter too. We, we've hunted for thousands of years and somehow did it without cameras. We'll be able to hunt well into the future if we manage our wildlife appropriately without cameras, with great deals of success for those who work the hardest, those who walk the land, those who learn the signs. And, and that's the other fear that I have as a sportsman is that some of those skills are being lost and not passed on. And those are extraordinary. You know, I, I, one of my greatest joys on this turkey hunt this past fall was beginning to teach my six-year-old grandson what, what does fresh sign look like, right? What are we looking for? 
um, and teaching him those skills that were taught to me, thank goodness, by some other wonderful sportsmen. Um, and, and I don't want to, us to lose that because technology can make all of us lazier. You know, I want to, it's, it's interesting you said what you just said because it's almost the analogy to hunting as a whole right now. And the reason I say that is this. Hunting as a whole right now is very in the here and now. Hunting doesn't think about what am I, if what I'm doing today, is it helping or hurting hunting in the future? It, nobody, nobody thinks that way anymore. Everyone's thinking, or oh, how can I be, uh, how can I get more likes? How can I get more engagement? How can I get more whatever? <laughs> Nobody's thinking about, are my kids and my grandkids going to have hunting in the future? And I think that's a very important point that people are forgetting it. As the commissioners of Game and Fish for the state of Arizona, any commission for any state across the U.S., your job is to protect those resources for my kids and my grandkids one day. And I hope, and based on the conversation we've had, I know that you don't take that lightly and no commissioner does because you have to think long-term. And when someone's thinking short-term, looking at the end of their nose, it's very difficult to see the long-term goal. Like you said, hey, what if we say cameras are good to go and that becomes the way people start hunting? What did we lose? Did we lose tradition? Did we lose heritage? Did we lose skill sets? Did we lose the ability to... And yeah, right now, you know, again, that being devil's advocate here, I see the benefit. I'm a biologist, I'm an ecologist. I see the benefit for wildlife management and taking inventory and being able to understand the wildlife population. But what does that look like in 10 years or 15 years? Did we detrimentally impact things because of our knowledge of the inventory? I don't know. I don't have the data. I'm just, you know, hypothesizing about what this whole um, situation looks, looks like. Well, and, and you brought up another issue, Robbie, that's important <clears throat> too in Arizona. 80% of our state lives in two, primarily two urban areas. We are the most urbanized state in the country, only behind Rhode Island. That, and, and, and as you know, Arizona is an in-migration state, meaning we're bringing people here. Our number one feeder state is California. Our number two feeder state is Illinois. Um, uh, we, Washington, Oregon, we can go down the list. Those are feeder states into a highly urbanized population. And when you go to that population and you say that hunting involves the following tools, to a group that by and large is not, they are not hunters, they're not sportsmen and women, they can look at that too with a very, <laughs> a very negative eye and come up with negative conclusions about sportsmen and women and, the, and our sport in the field of hunting. And then you can end up with public policy of the ballot box. And in Arizona, we, did, we stopped from getting on the ballot a couple of years ago a ban on lion and uh, lion hunting in Arizona. Um, and it took, it's a long story into itself and someday we could go have a beer and we can tell you that story. But these are real issues. These are real battles. Um, and part of, part of that is, is making sure that 
the commission has to consider, again, social aspects to this that we have to that we do have to just that's a reality in which we have to observe yeah. things. You know, if I could add, Robbie, that the the Arizona Gaming Fish Department has a lot of experience with this strategic thinking, if you will. If you go back and look at the history of the Mexican gray wolf that was introduced into, into Arizona and other endangered species, uh, a long history of strategic thinking and planning, and I'll, I'll take the wolf as an example, not only to grow the numbers, to, but to extend, expand the genetics of the, of the wolves that are released in, into Arizona and New Mexico. So this strategic thinking that, that you're referring to is part of the, what the commission does, and it, it's a must. And so we've got good experience with that through our uh, endangered species program. The other note about technology, uh, because I come from a technology background, is you can hardly go out and buy an individual trail camera anymore. People don't do that. They come in six packs. They come in 12 packs, you know, with a, with a bag that goes around your shoulder and you can walk out and, and set all your cameras out. It's kind of like the way they used to sell traps you know, when we were kids and you'd go in and buy six of them at a time, you wouldn't buy one. So as these items become more of a commodity, uh, the use of them is going to expand and even regions that you know, we get feedback, well, we don't have that particular problem in our game management unit, so we don't see like we should be impacted by any of these rules. It's, it's coming. Uh, if it's not there today, it's going to be there in that five years. And if not in that five years, in that 10 years. And as the chairman said, that's, that's our charter to look out for, for that kind of time frame. So two questions. I have two more questions, and we'll let you guys get on with your day. Number one, I just want to make sure that we're clarifying something here, because I think you said it a couple of times. And Jim, I'll, I'll, I'll address this to you. Grand, granddad down the street in Pace, Arizona, who loves to put trail cameras out to look at the wildlife that's coming through his property, show his grandkids the wildlife. Look, here's the coyote, here's the bobcat. You think that is still going to be something that that person can do? I 100% encourage that. That's exactly the use of trail cameras. And you should never lose that. You know, our, our marketing group has a uh, campaign uh, ad out there that talks about the, the magical moment when you see wildlife out there. And it doesn't matter if you're driving down a country road and a deer walks across the road or you see a flock of turkeys. I mean, people stop to look at that. And trail cameras should be used for that. Look at these great pictures that we have. Look what's in the backyard. And, and don't forget, we can still put them in the, in the forest. It, can't be for the take of wildlife. If you're camping and you want to go put up a trail camera around your camp to watch your camp when you're not, not in camp, uh, that's fine. No issue with, with those types of things. Even on a trail that you're not going to hunt in, uh, that would be fine. So it gets, you know, it gets convoluted sometimes. But back to your original point, yes, uh, we absolutely encourage that use of trail cameras. In fact, there, uh, I think, Robbie, that you brought up a notion that one of the things that we've actually been working on as a department and a commission is how to create more citizen scientists that will help give us data exactly what you're talking about. So give us uh, GPS uh, photographs, you know, time and, and location, um, which will help build the inventory for our scientists. So no, a big, 
you know, again, technology, we all know there's, we're using it right now. There are wonderful uses of technology and there can also be negative uses of technology if, if left unbridled, mm-hmm. kind of like Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, last question, and I want you individually to answer it, okay? So chairman, I'll start with you. Actually, I'll start with you, Jim. Let me start with you and then I'll let the chairman answer. Have you made up your mind, Jim? Have you made up your mind of what this is gonna look like already? I, I would say, no, I haven't made my mind up to say that I'm 100% there. But I understand the, the issues. We've been researching this since 2018, so this isn't new to the commission. This was going on before I was even on the commission. Uh, we're receiving lots of inputs from the from the public, uh, emails and phone calls. As as I was telling you earlier, I was on the phone all day yesterday talking to constituents on this on this issue. So I'm listening to that, but uh, I'll go back to my comment earlier. I think 100% agree that something needs to be done, and that's where the commission is going to make their five individual decisions, and then we'll get a vote on that. Chairman, same question to you. Is your mind made up? The honest answer. The honest answer is, and I think part of it is because I, you know, as I mentioned, I'm going into my tenth year on the commission, so I've I've watched this issue develop over those 10, 10 years. Uh, I definitely believe that the technology is outstripping the benefit and is creating negative consequences for sportsmen, for the wildlife, for ranchers, um, and and I and I and I think we're losing also generationally. We're potentially losing skill sets that are really important. Uh, if I was in Montana or, or you know Minnesota, I might have a different viewpoint because of the type of topography and the weather, the water. But because of the arid state we are, and it's not going to become less arid uh, in our lifetimes. Um, I am I am very committed to to seeing something done at a minimum would be the seasons. But I'm I'm actually for because of the 10 months of hunts in Arizona, I am uh, you can't do a season without allowing some season, some species to be hunted with cameras and others without, which I find to be not workable. So I am. Yes, I am firmly committed to removing this device uh, from from the field for the take of wildlife. Perfect. Any last words, gentlemen? Well, we appreciate you giving us a chance to talk to uh, about this. Um, I, I hope that the public who listens, this isn't about, this issue is not about big government wanting to take away people's ability to do things in the field. It's actually about perpetuating people's ability to hunt for decades and decades to come and to do what we are, that our sworn oath is, which is to ensure that I want my great-great-grandchildren to be able to see more than 820 species in the state of Arizona. And that's my job. And I'll leave the commission, I'm sure, less popular than when I got on it. And that's okay. Uh, Because... I can look my grandkids in the eye and tell them that I did my best to ensure that his kids and his his grandkids have the same opportunity I did. 
Jim? Yeah, well stated. You know, it's a it's an honor to serve on the on the commission. And uh, when you go into this, uh, being there just just for a year, um, it's it's kind of overwhelming at times when you realize the responsibilities that that you have. You you typically don't know that going in. And uh, so where we are today is representing large constituent uh, populations here and talking to a lot of people about it. And uh, we have uh, received lots of comments from people outside the state of Arizona. As the chairman said, we have lots of out-of-state hunters that come in here. So if you're watching this uh, podcast and you'd like to comment on the ArizonaGameAndFish.gov, azgfd.gov, there's a a tab at the bottom for commission and it's got each of our email addresses in there and you uh, feel free to uh, comment on there and uh, we'd be glad to listen to those inputs. Surprisingly, you know, when we went into this, we thought that, you know, is it going to be seasons? Is it going to be this? The, the constituents that we're talking to are, are leaning towards the total ban. So we have, we have lots of websites, even some of our hunting websites have put up polls about uh, inputs. And even those are saying that, yeah, we think you ought to ban them totally. So uh, lots of inputs from around the country. We encourage that. Uh, feel free to reach out to us. Robbie, I want to thank you for, for having us. As, as the chairman said, it's a great opportunity to help get the word out of what's actually happening here. And uh, we hope we can do this again sometime. Yeah, so number one, you know that if you're pushing on both sides. Oh, I will. Don't worry. I'll, I'll come. You know that you know this very well. If you're pushing on both sides, you guys are doing your job. All right. So number one. Number two, I'm just, I'm very, um, I said, I'm very grateful that both of you who are the decision makers decided to do this because I, you could have easily, I could have easily talked to someone lower down the chain who could speak for you, but couldn't speak for you. And the ability and the, the heart that you guys have portrayed through this podcast in terms of this is why we do what we do and the heaviness, Jim, as you said, the heaviness of responsibility that is on your shoulders, that without being in the seat that you're in is very difficult to comprehend. So I just want to applaud you. I want to say thank you. I want to thank you for my kids and my grandkids one day to hopefully come to Arizona and hunt and uh, show them the beautiful things that are in Arizona. And uh, yeah, just again, thank you. Really appreciate you boys. Thank you, Ram. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This 
is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.